Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 839 with Hamza Khan. Hamza is talking burnout from having lived it, recovered from it, identifying very precisely and specifically different stages and how you can manage it, drawn from the research and his own powerful story. So much good stuff. You'll learn one, the 12 phases of burnout, two, the DRAGON, that's an acronym, D-R-A-G-O-N, if you will, framework for beating burnout, and three, how to set boundaries without ruining relationships. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, please pay us a visit over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP839. And this is an episode I'd really recommend reading those gold nuggets. Each episode, we send out to email boxes a quick summary write-up of the actual wisdom the guest shares. And so this one's particularly nice if there's 12 stages of burnout and then the dragon acronym. That's all written in a very easy-to-access way. Those are the gold nuggets. And when you sign up, you also get access to the whole vault of all of these summaries, 839 of them. Anyway, that's the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. And this would be a good episode to read, refer, maybe print and post and reference that again and again. Good listings here from Hamza. And now here's a little bit about Hamza. Hamza Khan is the co-founder of Skills Camp, a leading soft skills training company, a top-ranked university educator and respected thought leader. He's a TEDx speaker whose talk, Stop Managing, Start Leading, has been viewed nearly two million times. His insights have been featured in notable media outlets such as Vice, Business Insider, and many more. Hamza is trusted by the world's preeminent organizations to enhance human potential and optimize performance. His clients include the likes of Microsoft, Pepsi, LinkedIn, Deloitte, Salesforce, and over 100 colleges and universities. Big thanks to Hamza for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Hamza. Hamza, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Pete, thank you for having me. Truly honored. Well, I'm so excited to talk about some of your insights on burnout and more. But first, you've had many cool work accomplishments in your career. And one that stuck out for me is the time you did a movie marathon <laughs> at your desk at work. Can you tell us the tale here? Oh, man, I was quite quitting before it became a thing, apparently. Wow. Where do we begin? First of all, I'm just a little bit starstruck because you interviewed very recently on this podcast, one of my heroes, Dr. Christina Maslach. I was going to say, she's on my mind <laughs> as we talk about burnout. <laughs> I listened to that episode three times. Oh, thank you. Cool. And the first time I was like, I cannot believe I'm listening 
to Dr. Sina Maslach just going off right now on the upstream factors which influence burnout. But oh my goodness, I'm going to be on this very same podcast very soon. And then I went back to it for a third time to just take notes and transcribe it. But thank you for providing the transcription and you just saved me a lot of time. So that was fantastic. Oh, cool. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so the quiet quitting, really interesting. If you listen to that episode, I think at the time of this release, it might be maybe 10 episodes out. I think it's number 823, if I'm not mistaken, Pete, which by the way, congratulations on nearly a thousand episodes of this podcast. That is remarkable. I was very disengaged at this workplace. Quite frankly, I was working at an organization that I just accepted a job with soon after graduation or actually just before. I was petrified that I wasn't going to find a job graduating in 2008 into the middle of a recession. So I said, yes, first job that was offered to me, I'm like, I'm taking this, let's do it. And I joined this company and I realized it was very imbalanced in the sense that there was a lot of people that were benefiting from the labor of a very small group of people of which I was a member of. It was a very marketing heavy organization, even though it was a tech company with like two developers, it was very marketing heavy. And I realized about a year into it that this company was shady to say the least. It uh, had some Ponzi scheme like elements to it. Okay. And this was an organization in which the optics were rewarded. So you were rewarded for appearing to be productive, showing up early, speaking up in meetings, even if you had nothing valuable to say, if you seemed busy and if you were staying late. And I just increasingly became disengaged, disillusioned by the organization. And all of the things that Dr. Krishna Maslach talked about in your episode, Pete, were present in my working experience there. There was a lack of fairness. There was inconsistent or missing values. There was a lack of control, an unsustainable workload, insufficient reward, to say the least, and a lack of or poor slash toxic community. So all of those things gradually wore me down. And by the end, I was like, hey, you know, what would happen if I just played the game? If I just pretended to be productive over here, if I just leaned into the optics, could this happen? And (laughs) I talked about this in my uh, first TEDx talk, Stop Managing, Start Leading. For, I think, two weeks, I would show up on time. I would say hello to my boss. He'd wish me good morning. And I'd sit there for eight hours a day and just marathon movies. And I did them all. I did Rush Hour, I did Lord of the Rings, I did the Harry Potters at the time, Godfathers, extended editions, of course. And uh, I would leave shortly after 5.30 and my boss would be like, hey, good job, buddy. Like you did an amazing job today. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, man. If you say so, sir, no problem. And I quit. I quit at the end of that marathon. I was like, yeah, this is ridiculous. <laughs> well, that's, I had several follow-ups when I watched your TEDx talk and, and that was one of them. I was like, just how long did this marathon persist? <laughs> and, and so two weeks, like 10 business days, 80-ish hours. So yeah, that's extended editions. We're probably a good 25 plus uh, films here. Uh, yeah, man. I also had to pop into Reddit and I just had to leave my thoughts as well and make sure that I understood. The world needs to hear what Hamza <laughs> thought about these movies on Reddit. One thing I will say, the only movies that are part of like franchises or trilogies that actually improve over time, The Lord of the Rings, I would say, mm-hmm. and surprisingly, The Planet of the Apes, which wasn't out at that time. But those are the only movies that actually get better and don't actually experience any quality loss, in my, my personal opinion. That's good. Well, so I was also going to ask, so you mentioned Ponzi scheme vibes, so maybe I already know the answer to this question is, mm. to what extent did you feel guilty like you were stealing from the company? And it sounds like you thought they were shady and you're on your way out. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have engaged in that behavior 
were the circumstances of, I don't know how much I can say over here because I did sign an NDA, but to be fair, you can, I think, I think people can look this up. You can go on my LinkedIn and put the timelines together and figure out what organization I was with. And you could Google them and find out which one is no longer in existence. And I think there's one that's going to stand out. Mm, okay. So, so this organization, once I clued into the fact that they were engaging in fraudulent behavior, that's when I was like, oh, wow, you, I mean, you guys are unethical. Uh, and, and I would, I would contend engaging in, in some criminal behavior. So I didn't feel bad about it at that point. That's when I realized mm. that, hey, you know, we're being abused. And when I say we, me and my coworkers were being abused in this workplace, that was very much using the theory X style of management, assuming the worst in employees and treating us in some pretty antisocial ways, behaving with us in some very antisocial ways, relying on some very dominant behaviors. And so once I clued into that, I was like, uh, yeah, I, I knew I was going to leave, but I just, for my own edification, I wanted to see what would have happened if I played the game. Mm -hmm. And of course it, it worked out in those two weeks. And I was like, yeah, this is ridiculous. Well, that is kind of fun, that experiment. And I have daydreamed about <laughs> just interviewing for jobs and being just flagrantly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, flagrantly but... honest and see how that goes. Or uh, if, if it's like in a lucid dream or, or, or fantasy or, or experiment to see what happens. And, and so there you, you saw it happen. They said, great job. And, mm -hmm. and that persisted. And who knows how long it could have gone on had you not exited. So well, I think that is an amusing opening <laughs> picture of what can happen when you're in burnout. And so Dr. Christina Maslach did share a, a lot of excellent insights in terms of the, the fundamental guiding principle causes of, of burnout. So, so please, yes, if folks have not heard that and you're interested in the topic, she is maybe the luminary on, on the topic, mm -hmm. episode 832. But Hamza, you got some good stuff here, which is fresh and interesting. In particular, you. you walk through a very resonant 12 stages of burnout and then a six-step dragon method. Mm which I think is supremely practical and, and very worthwhile. So I'd, I'd love it if we could dig into these particulars and if you could maybe first start us off by sharing something you found kind of surprising or novel as you did your own burnout research. Wow. I just want to clarify for the listeners. I sound like an awful employee. No. <laughs> That's the worst two weeks of your career. The worst I two mean, weeks of my career. <laughs> Ends an experiment. I did not repeat that experiment ever again. <laughs> you can ask my bosses, even during that time. I was a delight to work with. I hope that that is uh, something that all of my employers would say, and they have said in, in, in most cases. And uh, you can go on my LinkedIn. You can see my accomplishments. I, I'm not a slacker, I promise. I, okay. I, I work very hard. I apply myself. <laughs> Message and... <laughs> received. Because <laughs> I would be listening to this being like, holy, this guy's terrible. <laughs> okay, but I did burn out. And so this happened when I was highly engaged. Fast forward to a couple of years later, I'm in an environment in which all of those upstream factors that Dr. Christina Maslach described are working in my favor. You know, my workload is manageable. Uh, things are fair. The values are clear. There is a healthy community so on and so forth. And yet I burned out. Hmm. And I burned out in, in, a, in a scenario where in hindsight, on paper, I shouldn't have burned out because this was a place where I was very well compensated and we had the best of benefits possible. I mean, you could, if you wanted to, you could get a massage every single day there if you wanted. So in terms of the things that should have prevented burnout and promoted optimal mental, emotional, and physical well-being, 
those were at play and yet I still experienced burnout. And I realized so much of the reason why that happened is because I had internalized some greater fears. I, I think any given day, people don't feel like they're perfect enough, efficient enough, progressive enough, satisfied enough, innovative enough, whatever the case may be. And they engage in patterns of overwork that inevitably extinguish the fires of productivity. And that's what happened for me. Just I subjected myself to persistent chronic stress that uh, left me feeling depleted. Uh, I was ineffective. I was negative. I was cynical. And there was a, a distance between me and the, and the work that I was doing. And so when this happened, I was very perplexed. I was like, well, first of all, it was very isolating. I felt like I was alone in this. So I really need to understand what had happened to me. And at that time, I was using the term burnout quite casually, even flippantly. I was like, oh, I'm burning out. I'm burning the candle on both ends. I didn't really understand what it was. I even remember that uh, my understanding of burnout was related to an Xbox game that was popular at the time, Burnout Paradise or something. And then when I dove deeper into this, I realized, wow, I was, I was quite lucky to have experienced this and emerged on the other side of it with my health intact, because that is not the case for so many people. For instance, burnout, oof, I get chills when I think about this, right? Uh, people are dying every single day because of this. Uh, just today alone in China, approximately 3,000 people will die from working too hard. And this is not just people working in, in difficult labor-intensive jobs, blue-collar work. This is knowledge workers just like us dying every single day around the world, not just in China, dying every single day around the world from overwork. So I felt very lucky. And in this sort of me-search that gradually became research and then we-search, I discovered the 12 stages of burnout, a model proposed by some of Dr. Christina Maslach's contemporaries, some of the pioneering researchers, Dr. Herbert Freudenberger and Dr. Gail North, respectively, they demonstrated a linear progression of burnout. It starts with the compulsion to prove oneself, which is what I imagine a lot of people feel in the work that they do. They feel like they need to prove themselves, which then naturally leads to working harder, stage two. And then stage three is neglecting needs. And then stage four is displacement of conflicts. And that's when it becomes tricky for me. That's usually my tell that I'm burning out. Whenever I become short with clients, whenever I become short with my partner, with my family and with my friends, that's when I clue into the realization that I might be on this path to full-blown physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion. And that's the last stage of burnout. Stage 12 is just, there's nothing there. You're a husk, essentially. Okay. So when it comes to the working harder and neglecting needs, let's zero in on what are some mm -hmm. particular sorts of needs that are easy to kind of push to the wayside when you're working harder that can start to, to sneak up and spiral? Yeah, this is a good one, right? Let's go into some specific examples. You should try to the best of your ability to eat three meals if possible and eat them around the same time. This is optimal for, for metabolism, for energy maintenance and sleep, a whole host of other benefits. But it starts with you just saying one day, oh, you know what, I'm, I can't do breakfast today. Or breakfast starts to happen at lunch or you just breeze through lunch or you're working while eating and you're not taking you're not you're not chewing your food in the same way so just disrupting your eating habits that's one thing that you can neglect another thing that you can neglect is fitness skipping going to the gym or whatever other recreational or fitness activity that you engage in pushing that to the side not sleeping consistently not waking up at the same time every single day so eating sleeping family friends whatever you need to refill your energy buckets you start neglecting those i would say that's what happens around stage stage 3 mm, yep yep Gotcha. Okay. The friends, the exercise, the eating, the sleeping. Yeah. Okay. And so then the displacement of conflicts, you say you're being short with people. So you're displacing mm -hmm. that you're feeling conflicted about what's up at work. Yep. On over to other people around you. 
it's just avoidance behavior, right? You just sweep that conversation underneath below the rug, or you know, you need to have a difficult conversation with your boss, and you think maybe I'll have it tomorrow, maybe next week, and the next week oh, becomes okay. next month, and next month becomes never. Okay, and that makes sense because if you don't feel like you've got much in the tank, it's like, oh, that's too hard. Like, mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. just beyond me. And and I guess I find it my own self that it's not only difficult emotional conflict conversations, but it's all kinds of hard projects or or things like taking a hard look at the subscriptions that you've signed up for over the last few years and yep, seeing which yep. ones really needed to go a while ago and, and feeling yeah. the, the, I don't know, maybe guilt, shame, regret, silliness uh, of not having cleaned up some of these, these messes yeah. wherever they're hiding in your life <laughs> yeah, yeah, earlier, yeah. whether they're difficult conversations or looking at the mirror, appearing into the messes that you've made sorts of things. That's a very, very uh, relevant uh, example that you gave over there. So last year I was flirting with burnout. 2022, I think on record, was one of the most difficult years of my life, just in terms of the sheer frequency of stressors and the intensity of stressors. And I remember when I deloaded my priorities, I know we'll, we'll go into the dragon method a bit maybe, and talk about ways that we can recover from or beat burnout. I remember thinking to myself at the start of the year, like, hey, I need to cancel this NBA League Pass subscription that I have. And an entire year went past, (laughs) 2022, Mm -hmm. where I just had this subscription running in the background. And like Mm -hmm. in December, I'm like, man, I might use it soon, someday-ish, perhaps, maybe. I was like, hey, Adam Silver, you're welcome, man. I just made a 12-month donation to you and your organization. I I didn't use it at all. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this happens, right? You just avoid, you push away because you don't want to deal with it. It's difficult. And there's one, one more stressor that's going to maybe push you over the edge that, that you just, you know, you parry. But, uh, I think, I think it was J.R.R. Tolkien who said something to the, to the effect of shortcuts now result in roadblocks later. And I think about that a lot with stage four avoidance of these difficult conversations will ultimately resurface at some point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've, we've covered the first third of this dozen. Now mm-hmm. let's, let's hit it with uh, number five revision of values. Revision of values. So this is rewriting your own code, the things that are important to you, your sense of purpose and and the things you reward, tolerate and punish enter into a state of flux. Work at this point becomes really your only focus. Then I think next we go into stage six, denial of emerging problems. People are starting to notice that things are off about you, but you you dismiss them. You say, it's not, it's not a me problem. It's a you problem. Stage seven is withdrawal. All of the stress and especially all the social pressure that you're now feeling, it just becomes overwhelming. You know, it becomes a topic of conversation whenever you meet your friends, whenever you sit down with your family or your spouse, they're pointing out that something's off and you say, it's easier for me to just not deal with this. So you retreat, you, you become isolated, you become even antisocial. And then uh, eight, we have odd behavioral changes. You undergo obvious behavioral changes that are now significantly concerning friends and family. Stage nine is depersonalization. You feel you fail to see yourself as valuable. You uh, start to antagonize other people. You start to blame people for things that are going wrong in your life. Stage 10 is inner emptiness. This is loneliness. It's an extreme sign of burnout. And then stage 11 is depression, like a force introversion. And then stage 12, full-blown burnout syndrome. This is when uh, you, you experience physical, mental, and emotional collapse and at this stage. And frankly, I think some stage six onwards, it, it's, it's imperative that you seek out professional help. Mm-hmm. Now this collapse, let's, can you paint a picture for what that might look, sound, feel like? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I talked about this. I did another Ted talk in 2015, I believe titled the burnout gamble. And, and, I, and I went into some detail about it. If I, if I do that talk again, I would, I would definitely just 
be more present with what was happening. So I experienced this in 2014, the December of 2014. I'd worked that year from January all the way until the beginning of December. I, I was putting in the 996 and 997 work weeks. It's working 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week and some weeks 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. seven days a week. Style of working that was very popular in the tech sector and was popularized in, in I think it was Alibaba. Jack Ma of Alibaba really just uh, talked about this and extolled its virtues. Anyways, didn't take a break, uh, didn't really have weekends, no vacations, and it was working in the beginning for me. I was being rewarded, I was being promoted, given more responsibilities, and what's that saying? The hardest worker gets the bigger shovel. And so I was just grinding myself down, wearing myself out. And then in December of 2014, I'm ready to take this epic trip around the world. I'd booked my flights, I'd uh, reserved hotels, Airbnbs, intercity travel. And the day I was supposed to leave on that trip, that grand adventure around the world where I was going to flame out like a phoenix and recover from the ashes of all of this overwork, I got cold feet. And it happened minutes before I was supposed to call the Uber to go to the airport. My knees buckled, my chest clamped, my breathing became shallower, my temperature skyrocketed. I panicked and I blacked out. I think my body just said, enough's enough. Hamza, you've subjected us to too much over here. We're shutting you down. And it was just such a surreal feeling because I was, when, when I awoke, there's barely minutes left until the flight was supposed to take off. And in my delirium, I thought that I could still book it to the airport, <laughs> rush the tarmac, state my case and hop on the flight and everything would be okay. But I was paralyzed. I just couldn't stand up. And the flight left without me. And what happened instead is I became sicker than I'd ever been in my life. And this is coming from somebody that caught COVID. And uh, this is the OG strain of COVID too, pre-vaccine. Mm -hmm. I threw up, I became nauseous. And essentially for the next month, I was alone, at home, bedridden, completely bewildered. My mental health was wrecked. I could barely get up out of bed. One of the lowest points in my life. There was just nothing there. I just became a complete shell. And when I talked to doctors about what had happened, uh, they all said that I had burned out, but I had, based on, on what I told them had happened on the eve of that trip, they said that I experienced the symptoms of a very traditional panic attack, complete system failure, which led me to fall as deathly ill as I had become at that point. So that's what it looked like for me. And I imagine, uh, you know, other people have gone through similar, who've gone through the full 12 stages of burnout, who've made it all the way to burnout syndrome. They've, they've experienced something similar to that. Mm. Well, that, that's heavy. And, and thank you for sharing that experience. I'm thinking that's certainly dramatic and memorable. I'm thinking back to a conversation I had with another guest, Kerry Newhoff. He says, I don't have a diagnosis on this, but from chatting with people, I think many people suffer from a low-grade burnout. Mm. That, and he would define it as, you're still able to show up and do the things as opposed to being bedridden, but there's, there's not much feeling or joy or emotion or life inside you. Wow. And I thought that that was, that was powerful because it rings true to me is that I've seen burnout take these two routes. One is like, that's enough, done. <laughs> yeah. Out. Yep. And then just like, almost like a quiet desperation going through the motions. Wow. And what's your take on that? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. I mean, I never want to go back to that level of burnout that I experienced, full-blown burnout. And the two routes that you mentioned are really interesting. I don't think I've ever... I don't think I've publicly spoken about this, but last year, 2022, I definitely was on the burnout cycle. I was in a cycle of burnout, but I didn't make it all the way to stage 12. And so there's a part of me, like an inner defense mechanism that 
made me reluctant to share my burnout story in the first place. That's like, don't admit that you experience burnout because that will undermine your message. Like, how can you be an expert on burnout? How did you write this book? And are you speaking about burnout? But you're going through it as well. But the truth is, even if you're on stage one of the burnout cycle, you're still technically experiencing burnout. Mm -hmm. It's just to a lesser degree than somebody might be experiencing if they're at stage 12. But the fact remains that you're still going through the motions. You're still experiencing on this continuum of burnout effects the thing that the World Health Organization ascribed three dimensions to, feelings of exhaustion and energy depletion, increased distance from your jobs, and negativism and cynicism about your work. Mm -hmm. And that can happen at stage one. It can happen at stage 12. It certainly happens at stage 12. So even if you're experiencing chronic stress that has not been successfully managed, but you're still effective, you're still productive, you're still getting things done, you might be tempted to think and say that you're not going through burnout, but the truth is you are. And acknowledging that you are is the first step, in my opinion, towards recovering from burnout to dealing with it constructively. Mm -hmm. And as we look at the 12 stages overall, one that's striking a core with me right now, and I don't think I noticed it at the time, is I was working a lot and I wasn't really pleased with it, but I thought, well, hey man, you know, that's that's the nature of the game. Some projects are, are tougher than others and some seasons are trickier. And then I found myself frequently checking my bank account balances dude, and stock <laughs> holdings. Yeah, man. And, and Which was weird because I, I didn't do that before. <laughs> and it was like, oh man, I'm working a lot and I'm tired. It's like, but you know what? I'm making a lot of money. It was like, look at that. That's pretty impressive. Look at that. I mean, yeah, yeah. Did you th imagine a couple of years ago? And so, and then I remember even reflecting on myself in that moment thinking, yeah, but like, when did you care about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with you. That's that's busy work, mm -hmm. right? Like you're just doing things to to give you the illusion that work is being done, that progress is being made. I'm right there with you. And I would actually start to obsess about whenever money was leaving my accounts because that was a stressor for me too. So Stephen A. Hopfall, a, a researcher, has proposed this, this theory, the conservation of resources theory, which states that people experience psychological stress, which is a big contributor to burnout, psychological stress in three scenarios, when there's a net loss of resources, when there's the threat of a loss of resources, or when there's insufficient reward following an investment of resources. So when I was going through burnout, just like you, Pete, I would obsess. I would check my bank account every single day. And I was like, oh, case or movement, things are okay. And I'm like, what am I, what am I doing? This is not moving the needle on anything. I'm just trying to fill my time over here. I'm just trying to give myself some optical illusion that progress is being made, or at least I'm not regressing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. well, and I think I also remember thinking about how, like we are working a lot and that somehow meant that we were really tough and hardcore and awesome, like Navy SEALs or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the nine to five worker was was weak or lazy or something. And so that's kind of <laughs> gross too, in terms of that like- toxic hustle culture. Yeah. yeah, it's soaking a toxic, it was inside my own mind too, a toxic, uh, I don't know if the word is othering or being contemptuous of like yeah, normal- Yeah, association almost. So yeah, it, it's like, it is weird in terms of the revision of values. It's like who I am is different. Mm -hmm. And that's not pretty. So that resonates as a real step that pops up there. I didn't care about being a super hardcore dude capable of working a lot or having a fat bank balance. But in a world in which I was working too much, that was the consolation I had available to me. And that's what I clung to. I can relate so much to that. I mean, so much of our identity, it sounds like 
and just hearing that was tied up in being productive. It's how we we made meaning in the world. It's it's something that we did to inflate our egos and to feel valuable, to feel wanted in the world. Mm-hmm. And when that wasn't true for me in 2014, when I burned out, it was an ego death. It was like a, a holy smokes, well, what's going on? Who am I moment? If I can't be effective in the workplace, if I've now signaled to all of my colleagues and to my partners and to my leaders that I I can't manage myself well enough to be effective in the workplace, then maybe I'm less than, maybe I'm not who I think I am. So there was a significant period of depression that followed that burnout and it's taken me years to recover from that. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about recovery. There's a six-step dragon method you mentioned, D-R-A-G-O-N. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's six letters for six steps. It's an acronym. <laughs> Lay it on us, Hamza. And look, I got to be honest with you. It was not dragon when I put it together. It was like D-R-A-G-X or G-L-N. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I got to find a synonym for this X and L word and just let's just make it dragon. So it worked out. But I think the idea is still salient because the way I was behaving in 2014 and prior to was very much like a phoenix. I had this false belief that I could just continue to burn bright and burn out and then recover from the ashes every single time. And uh, I think a fantastical mythical creature that has a better relationship with fire that isn't beholden to the fire is the dragon, very much in control of it. It's calm, it's powerful, and it's resilient. And so I've leaned into that metaphor. Smart work with that Thank you, sir. dragon, fire breathing, controlling it. There we go. Rocket. There we go. So yeah. better to behave like a dragon than a phoenix. Now, I was very inspired by Dr. Christina Maslach's work. So I want to preface by saying this. What I'm sharing, this dragon method, it assumes that there is a good fit with you and the organization. And it assumes that the upstream factors are non-existent. Because if the upstream factors are in play, then this dragon method, it's going to be very difficult for you to implement. And uh, I'll take it a step further. I've heard this verbatim from some clients throughout the years. Like you can't yoga your way. You can't journal your way out of burnout. If you're dealing with a toxic leader or if you're Mm -hmm. grossly underpaid at your workplace or if there's no mission, vision, values, principle, purpose. So these are very much designed with the individual in mind. And it's what I use to emerge from burnout and to keep burnout at bay. So the first step is to deload priorities, identify the sources of stress in your life and diminish them and reduce them down to something that's manageable to create the time and the space essentially to recover. That's step number one. The second step is to reconfigure focus because it's one of the things that we lose sight of when we're going through burnout. We lose our North Star, we lose our sense of purpose. So to reconnect with why you're doing what you're doing, the transcendent reason for your being in the world of work. Then stage three is assemble boundaries against the very things that caused you to experience undue stress and burnout in the first place, to get better at saying no, essentially. Then we go, once we're past the recovery stage, DRA, then we go into the inoculation stage. This is how to prevent yourself from burning out. So the first part of that is G, gain mastery of stress, separate good stress from bad stress, and and understand that it's better to then go into the next stage, O, be a high performer and not an overachiever. So overcome overachievement. And the final stage, perhaps the most important stage in terms of inoculating yourself against burnout is to nurture resilience. And a big part of that is about developing better self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Beautiful. Deload priorities, reconfigure your focus, assemble boundaries, gain a mastery of stress, overcome overachievement, and nurture resilience. Bingo. So could you share a couple of your favorite tactics or huge bang for the buck types of initiatives or interventions that fall within each of these six that are some of your faves? Ooh, okay. Wow. 
I'm going to give you a couple of ones that I have been relying on extensively over the last year and a half. So the one that uh, I've gone pro at is assembling boundaries. And a big part of this is learning how to say no and doling out respectful no's. You could do it like Oprah. That's one way to do it. You could just make your default response to everything that takes you out of balance. No, like no to birthdays, no to Zoom meetings, no to coffee dates, all of that. But uh, I think you'll you'll quickly learn that you're going to lose friends and uh, <laughs> exhaust a lot of social capital. But one way that you can dole out re- no's is, is, is respectfully. You can acknowledge the request. You can say, thank you so much for thinking of me for this opportunity. Then you can clearly state why you can't do it. So it's like, hey, Pete, thank you so much for thinking of me to be on the podcast. Unfortunately, I can't do it because for the next three months, I'm busy with whatever. I clearly state why I can't do it. Then I can offer an alternative, and that's the master stroke. Instead of leaving you hanging, I should say, hey, what if we circle back in about six months? Or instead of me, I think somebody else would be a better fit for this podcast on this topic. And this way, you don't feel like I've left you high and dry. It actually builds social capital between us because I'm looking out for you. I'm looking to solve your problem, looking to help you out in that situation. So that's one way to do it, doling out respectful no's. That has been very helpful to me. Another strategy, ooh, I love this one a lot. It's uh, the 5D method. This is especially important whenever you're dealing with triaging any of your inboxes. I use this with my inbox every single day. Before I decide to do something, I run it through another set of D options. The first one is defer. If I can do this at a later date, great, push it aside. Diminish, reduce the scope of it. Delegate, if you have the ability to give it to somebody else. And if it's unnecessary, if it's not relevant, just delete it. Mm -hmm. And then whatever is left over, then do that. And I promise you, if you run your inbox through that filter of defer, diminish, delegate, delete, and then do, you will overcome that hesitation to to start something. I mean, what's that saying? There's only one way to eat an elephant, one bite at a time, Mm -hmm. which is a ridiculous adage when you think about it, because you shouldn't eat elephants unless you're a dragon, of course, that's a different story. Oh, sure. Yes. But the point remains that our reluctance to start something is proportional to the size of it. And so when we're staring down an inbox of 200, 300 emails, the 5D method comes in handy. And the last one I want to give you over here, I could give you so much, but one that I'm using quite regularly is uh, the dash method. Decide essentially how work is going to end before you start work. And this way you activate what's known as Parkinson's law, this uh, productivity principle, which states that states that work expands so as to fill the time allocated for its completion. Well, if you don't have these constraints in place, if you're not simulating these constraints, you're probably like, if you're like me, like a procrastinator, you're going to wait until the very last minute to start it. And it's probably not going to get done or at the very least, it won't be very good. And there's a couple of dashes that you can use. There's time-based dashes. So let's look at it in the context of this podcast, right? We have an hour allocated for the recording of this. So we're either going to reach the full 60 minutes or we're going to end before then. So that's a time-based dash. You and I both know how this recording is going to end. There's also an energy-based dash. Whenever either of us loses energy in the tank to continue, that's another way we can end this. There's a unit-based dash. We can go through all of the questions that, Pete, you've designed. So that's one way to end this podcast. There's time, energy, unit. There's feeling-based as well. So, Pete, whenever you feel like we've got a good episode in the can, we can wrap this up. And then there's also results-based. We might be trying to hit a certain metric for the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, and then you might feel confident that we've reached that metric. And so what you can do is you can establish one of these dashes as a way to end work before it begins, or you can combine some of these dashes and decide to end work when one of these dashes has been reached. So that's another strategy that I would recommend that falls within the dragon method. Mm -hmm. 
And within the gain mastery of stress step, any favorite tools there? Okay. So when it comes to gaining mastery of stress, this is one that was challenging for me last year when I was flirting with burnout and it was taking regular breaks. And I know this seems really pedestrian and there's probably some listeners who are just rolling their eyes being like, seriously, just taking breaks. How important is that? It is essential. It should be non-negotiable. It's not a nice to have in a very busy workday. It's actually essential to you doing your best work. And so put them in your calendar, hard code them. I now have breaks built into my calendar. For example, I've really slow mornings and I color code them as well to be green and green signals to me that this is going to be something that's going to be replenishing. Lunch, non-negotiable. It's in there at the same time every single day. Weekends blocked off. Some evenings, date nights with my partner all blocked off. So scheduling these breaks and structuring them is essential. And if you have the ability to take regular vacations, if you can, and when you are taking these vacations, I think plan it in such a way where you can actually go dark and disconnect completely from the very things that might be causing regular stress. So within overcome overachievement or sorry, gain mastery of stress, I would say in that step, take breaks. And if not be warned that you could break in the process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Take breaks or your break. Got it. Well, Hamza, tell me, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Wow, no, you've really asked some some questions here that have given me reason to, to step back and just appreciate all of the wisdom that has been accumulated through mentors, through different researchers, and Christi, Dr. Christina Maslach being one of them that helped me get through the stress of last year. I think had this conversation happened in 2014, you'd be speaking to a very different Hamza that would be on the brink of, of full-blown burnout. So I'm just very grateful that I have the ability now to pay it forward to people who might be experiencing any stage on that 12 stage of burnout model. And hopefully it'll compel you to separate run-of-the-mill everyday stress from what might be something that will lead to debilitating consequences for you. And hopefully you can save that. Okay, thank you. All right, well now could you share a favorite quote so that you find inspiring? It's by Martha Graham considered to be one of the pioneers of ballet in the United States. She wrote, there is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there's only one of you in all of time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and it will be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly to keep the channel open. And Pete, I sometimes find myself just staring at this quote and really meditating on it because it's as somebody that's very critical of their work, as somebody who, who easily becomes disheartened with the results or lack thereof. I tend to fall into the trap of just comparing myself and, and competing unnecessarily. And so when I read this, whenever I feel down about my work and my output, I'm like, hey, there's a thing that's working over here. Just keep the channel open. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I've got a lot, but the one that has my attention these days is the dark triad of personality traits, specifically within leadership. Very interesting research. And as a nice companion to that, you can look at the D factor of personality. Uh, fascinating, especially if you're studying destructive leadership and how that might be impacting such things as employee engagement, burnout, turnover, and, and the works. Mm -hmm. Well, it's tempting for me to jump all over that. So <laughs> can you just, what are the three things? You just name them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the dark triad of personality traits, subclinical levels of narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy, and they fall within the other model, which is the D factor of personality, the inverse of the ocean, big five traits. This is essentially, and I'm going to, I hope I can get this right. It is the relentless pursuit of maximizing one's individual utility while provoking, neglecting, or accepting the disutility of others. 
In other words, selfish behavior. Mm -hmm. And that is what is at the root of destructive leadership. Yeah, seems to check out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Before I've done, have it, done none of the research, that sounds about accurate. And how about a favorite book? One that I'm reading right now, man, I cannot say enough good things about it. Death in the Haymarket, a story of Chicago, the first labor movement, and the bombing that divided Gilded Age America. My goodness. I mean, it's a it's about something that happened in 1886, but it is it's reading to me as though it's written for this moment in time, 2023. And all of the tension and the levels of disengagement and burnout that are happening in the workplace, clearly to me and many others, there's something fundamentally wrong about the world of work today. And I think this book offers a very timely warning for if we don't correct the things that are going wrong for in the modern workplace, then we face some kind of upheaval that is going to be uncomfortable for everyone. Okay. And a favorite tool? So that you used to be awesome at your job? If I had to pick of the current suite of tools that I'm using at the moment, uh, Asana. Mm -hmm. Asana, the task management system. All right. And a favorite habit? Favorite habit is waking up at the same time every single day, even on weekends. And what time is that? It ranges between 5 and 5.30. Okay. Yeah. Never the same time on the dot. I'm always surprised whenever it spills over beyond 5.30. And is there a key nugget you share that really connects and resonates with folks? They quote it back to you often? Two in particular, one is stop managing, start leading, and the other one is burn bright, not out. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Humzak.com. You can find all of my links, my social links, links to my podcast, newsletter, all of that at humzak.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Don't resist change. Don't resist chaos and the uncertainty of the future of work. Embrace it. Understand that change, the ability to triumph through adversity, to overcome adversity, is something that makes us uniquely human. It's the closest thing that we have to a superpower. So always be changing, and at the very least, change before change is required, especially before it's too late. All right. Hamza, this has been a treat. I wish you much fun and little burnout. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And likewise. I really love what Hamza has to say about those 12 phases. Because I think I've been there a few times where when, <laughs> when you're in phase 12, 11, 10, you know what you feel. It's something is very wrong here. But then just to note that at the very beginning, number one, the compulsion to prove oneself. It's like, oh, okay. It's like we're starting down a bit of a path. Oh, I'm working a little bit harder. We're going deeper down the path. Oh, I'm kind of skipping some workouts, kind of skipping some of my sleep as much as I'd like to have. I'm neglecting the needs. I'm displacing some conflict. Oh, that's too hard. I'll deal with that later. Oof. Slippery slope, bit by bit by bit. I appreciate Hamza really just spelling it out so you can see yourself in it quickly and then do some of that dragon action from deloading priorities to reconfiguring focus to assembling boundaries to getting a mastery of stress to overcoming, overachieving to nurturing resilience. So much good stuff from Hamza. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP839. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.